So I am going to start this morning by sharing a picture. So I am going to share my screen and pull up a picture that I hope you all can see. And this is a picture of something called an auricula theater. So auriculas are, they're like these little flowers that you can see and they're related to a primrose. And they usually grow like in the mountain regions over near the Alps, like pretty high up. But I found out you could grow them here in Michigan. So when I saw somebody um, with an auricula theater, when I was watching my, I call it my like old lady show that I watch, Gardener's World on the BBC, <laughs> I was like, okay, I am totally going to make one of these for my garden in the backyard. And I thought last year was the perfect time to do it because it was the pandemic summer and they're a little bit fussy. So you can see they come in these like, you usually grow them in little tiny pots just for the uh, sort of the effect because they're a tiny flower. And so to get them to germinate, it's actually quite a lot of work. Remember I ordered the, the seeds online and I even followed the directions and I'm not a great directions follower. But I read them and I was like, okay, so you have to like put them in the refrigerator for a few weeks to get them to germinate and you pull them out and you, you know, put them in like a wet paper towel. And I bought all kinds of those little pots and I lined them up outside in the shade and I like did this mix of compost that we had made and I don't know, soil and probably a little, or, you know, um, what do you call that stuff? Per, uh, you know, like the little beads. I don't have any notes here, so I'm just, but anyway, I, I did everything that they told me to do. And so I made everything and I put all the little seeds in and then I had to water them like three times a day for weeks. And I thought, okay, during the pandemic, I can do this because the pots are small, so they dry out really quickly. So I'm going to just, I'm going to keep them moist and I can do that. I even like bought this gardening shelf that I put out in the shade because you have to kind of keep them a little bit cool and I would drag the hose out three times a day and I would water those things and they started to grow and I got super excited about it but I could tell there were like different things growing in different pots and I thought well you know kind of the rule of thumb of gardening is if you're not really sure what it looks like and I've never grown these you just kind of let the weeds grow up with the other stuff right and then you pull the weeds once you can kind of tell what's what's going on um and then I started to see things were growing and I got really excited. And so I did this every day for probably, I don't know, six to eight weeks, three times a day. And a few of them were starting to look like pretty sturdy. And I was like, oh, this is nice, except they weren't flowering. And then they started to look like they were outgrowing the pot, which really probably shouldn't have happened with these. I'm gonna stop the share just so we don't have to continue to look at those. And then Rachel came over, Rachel's the veg gardener of us, and she came over there and she said what I had been thinking, but didn't want to admit. She's like, you know, these really look like tomatoes. <laughs> Growing in these tiny pots so that they couldn't possibly get healthy, you know? So I put in like two months of work to these stupid things and they were in fact tomatoes that probably grew up from the compost that we hadn't composted long enough because I'm me and we're us. And <laughs> I had spent so much time on weeds and tomatoes and I was like so frustrated. So I just, you know, ripped them. All. I actually just dumped them all in the middle of this uh, like little cement area we had. And I was just like, ah, I'm done with my auricula theater project. 
I'd been so excited. I had like such dreams about it. It was going to be great. And I put in all of that work for nothing. And I was thinking about that this week as, you know, we've been doing like a, a sort of a light sermon series on Ecclesiastes, although it'll be a little less light, I guess. Um, but I was like, I think that's like where the author of Ecclesiastes is at when they write, right? It's like, they, they feel like there's like all this effort that's gone into everything and then nothing happens. And you're putting in all this futile effort and you're like, what is the freaking point of anything? It is completely meaningless. And I think that book is, in a lot of ways, it is just kind of despairing. And as a Gen X uh kid who came up in sort of the postmodern era like I think I remember reading it in my 20s and being like I get this writer like this writer just like kind of speaks to the soul of, of some of particular generations maybe um, I'm sure it resonates with a lot but you know Ken was talking last week about how the author of Ecclesiastes and I'm gonna I'm gonna put the names just because they're it's a little bit odd down here in the um in the chat Colette or Coalef, it just means teacher is the name of it. And it really has a feminine ending. So it's quite possibly this is a feminine voice, but we don't know. But Coalef was disillusioned with religion, with society, maybe perhaps especially with government, even though this author of the book was probably themselves like upper class and educated, right? So they were probably part of the benefiting class, but they're looking at everything and they're writing about just how meaningless life is. And Colette's disillusionment seems to be rooted in them seeing like just a lack of justice for the poor and the oppressed. And so they sprinkle these dissatisfactions throughout the book. So I want to start by just breezing through five of their complaints, just so we can kind of get a sense of where their head is at. And it's, it's, it's a pretty dark place. So the first thing that they are complaining about is that in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And I think that can be easy to just read through without really thinking about it, but think about what that means. No judgment, no justice. It's like the courts are rigged. And I think we can relate to that, right? We can all look at our justice system and see where it could use improvement and justice systems of other nations could use some improvement. So I feel like I can relate to that. The second thing is that they, they feel like they're seeing that the oppressed experience no comfort and no power. I'm gonna put that one into, it's Ecclesiastes 4.1. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter, right? They're like desperate for comfort. And I thought, God, I could list the ways we see power on the side of the oppressors, but it's really just a depressing list. And I think we know what it is, right? So we can relate to that. The third one here is Coleth says that the poor, especially experience injustice. Put that Ecclesiastes 5, 8 to 9. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields." Right? Again, no exposition needed. We know this. Their fourth complaint is that it seems like good people die early 
being good people and wicked people live long and prosperous lives, right? So I'm gonna put two of them in here. Ecclesiastes seven, in this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Ecclesiastes eight, I was tempted to name a couple names there, but I refrained. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. And then last but not least, I say it seems like in the age of high empire, which is where they're writing from, that people are just on a hamster wheel of work, right? That it's just work and work and work and to what end? This is Ecclesiastes 4.8. There was a man all alone and he had neither son nor brother there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. You know, like Koaleth is really, you know, really down in the, in the depths here. And like them, I mean, the writing about 2,500 years ago, I think we can with another 2,500 years of historical perspective, affirm with them that there's nothing new under the sun, right? That Koleth is disillusioned because it just seems like evil happens over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter who's king and it doesn't matter which empire rules. Everything they declare is meaningless. It's vapor. And the most accurate meaning of that word is more like it's crap. It's actually a different word, but I won't use it because we have kids that are also listening, right? It's like the really frustrated by it. And if you read that book, you'll see that just over and over. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. It's BS, right? This word has like an edge to it. So that's where Colette's at. And I'm guessing that some of us have hit a place maybe a little like that, maybe not quite that deep, but some of us maybe um, have hit that over the last year. I know I, I have on a few times. And these feelings of frustration might be even especially compounded, like if you've had kids at home, like trying to do school while you're working. And it just feels like, why are we doing this to ourselves, right? Our government has been trying our nerves. And then we add on top of it, just the frustration of people of faith who seem to just be feeding all of the social problems instead of helping solve them, which then fuels the question for me, like you can kind of get into the space of like, God, is our faith even good? Like, is it even helpful? Are Christians helpful? And I think this book resonates so deeply and has always been one of my favorites because Coleth offers no easy answer to that. And Coleth gives us like no platitudes to like soothe those feelings. And I think I find it comforting precisely because they don't, right? They don't try and make that better. They don't try and give us some cheap answer to that. At the end of the book, there is a little bit of like an it's okay, you know, God is God, but that's only because the end was written by somebody else by another scribe who was uncomfortable with the book. And so they added it later because people were like, oh, I don't know if we can put this in here, right? So for me, just it's mere existence of like not offering those kind of platitudes I find comforting. And it's not the only voice in scripture, right? It's not even the dominant voice, but those things are also not like the dominant feelings in me, right? It's just one of the feelings that I have about my faith and my society sometimes, but this, frustration and this hopelessness that come and go for all people of faith are just validated as part of what it means to be a person on this journey. Like that it's okay to just shake our heads and say, I don't even know what to make of God or of anything or of life sometimes. I don't know. And so it's from that place that Coleth offers us what's been helpful to them. 
And I wouldn't say these are answers, but they're just like consolations. And these consolations are actually pretty well known in our culture, even by people who are outside of sort of the Judeo-Christian traditions, because I think they are just kind of generally consoling. And so the first one that, that Koleth offers us is just a reminder that life is made up of seasons. And so I'm gonna read you quite a bit of the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter three, and I'll put it into the chat. Um, mostly because I think it's comforting sometimes to read these scriptures that are very well known to us as a reminder. So Ecclesiastes three, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, my stupid auriculas, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace, right? So Koleth reminds us that even when things seem hopeless, we can remember that horizons eventually open up, right? That they always do, there's a time for it, and it might not be on our dream schedule, but horizons do eventually open up. And I'm gonna go on and read a little bit more of chapter three here. I'm gonna put it in separately from Ecclesiastes three. God has set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And whatever is has already been. And whatever will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there'll be a time for every activity a time to judge every deed. So for me, like the element of faith that Koleth invites us into is, is this faith that one day horizons are gonna open up and the wicked will eventually be held to account. And when I think about that, I think I don't even know what that means or what it looks like or what to even expect, but for whatever reason, I find that a little bit of a comforting thought. And they're reminding us that there's this finiteness to our human understanding and our concept of time, right? So I, I'm not a person that believes that like God has one plan for humans or for your life or my life and one plan for creation and that God's working on this one plan. I actually find that problematic on, on a few levels, but I do have faith that in God, in all things, God is working like pulling these various levers for the good of creation and especially for the oppressed. And that these spaces where the spirit is work, as at work often depend on us and our choices, right? That we're part of that process. And so we don't always get to see the full effect that our lives and our choices have on the whole system. And there, there are things that we just cannot see, right? So life's made up of seasons, reminds us horizons eventually open up, even if not in our lifetimes. And then we hold to the, to the idea that the spirit is at work in ways that we don't understand. And then the third major piece of advice that Cola offers us is to eat and drink and be merry. I'm good. I'm good at that part. 
Coalesce says this. I'm going to put it in. I mean, it's a Dave Matthews song, too, for those of you who, who know. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. This is the gift of God. Right? So they're just proclaiming that life in the here and now is good in spite of all the meaninglessness of it, like what's in front of us. Like we can enjoy those little things that are part of the enjoyments of life and that God wants us to be happy and enjoy those little things we have in front of us. And it reminds me of a, a quote that are from a book that our Tuesday book group here at church has been reading. We've been reading a book called A Sand County Almanac. And the author has this really beautiful quote. He's talking about um, something called draba, which are little tiny flowers Sorry about the flower theme today. It's February and snowy here. Um, but draba are these little tiny flowers that come out like late winter, early spring, and they grow through like Canada and parts of the northern U.S. Apparently they grow here, although I don't know what they look like. Um, and he says this. He says, he who hopes for spring with upturned eye never sees so small a thing as draba. He who despairs of spring with downcast eye steps on it, unknowing. He who searches for spring with his knees in the mud finds it in abundance. Right? So in other words, like we can get lost in the God's too big for human understanding thoughts and miss the God at work in our everyday lives. Right? And in the same way, we can get lost in the despair of the world and again, miss God in front of us. Right? But in searching for the spirit and being like alert to its aliveness in the everyday blessings of our friends and our families and our church community and really good food and sunsets and the honking of a Canadian geese who actually flew over my house this morning and your kids laughing, right? When we notice that kind of beauty, we see the spirit at work. And when we share out of our abundance with people who need it, right? We see the spirit at work. When we sing with our kids, we see the spirit at work. And Koaleth is a, like affirming the value and the blessing of these things and advises us that when we're feeling this overwhelming angst or anger or frustration to embrace these beautiful things in front of us in times of despair for comfort and for assurance. And so I know I've found this personally helpful, right? Not only to hear somebody else and somebody like who's in the Bible say these things out loud, right? To say like, God, it sometimes just all seems meaningless, but I've actually just found it helpful when I'm personally frustrated with other white American Christians or with understanding family members about politics or feeling sad about our cat who died two weeks ago, right? Just remembering that this too shall pass. Or as my grandma says, sometimes we just have to get through these things, right? To be mindful and grateful for the joys that we do have and just to take comfort in holding uh, holding to the idea that nothing is certain, but that we have beauty in front of us, right? And that we can be mindful of those things. So we usually do a meditation where we, we spend a minute or two, either with guided meditation or silence. And I want us mostly to just take some silence. And I just invite you to just ask the spirit to help you um, just think about like good food and good drink and ways that you could be merry this week, like little places to find joy. And maybe that's even thinking ahead to like, ooh, I'm like, 
to maybe cook my favorite meal in this deep depths of February. And so I just want to invite you into that space. You can close your eyes if you'd like, take a couple deep breaths and just go through and maybe just be grateful for the things that you have and this bring it to your awareness so that as we go through this coming week, we really pay attention to those things in a more mindful way. So Holy Spirit, come. The spirit in those moments when we find ourselves in these places of just frustration, we invite you to help us to acknowledge those things and also draw our attention to things that can bring us um, joy and comfort and consolation. And just help us to be mindful this week of even the small things in front of us that we can take coalesce advice and really savor uh, some really good food and good drink. And I know we can't have like big parties or gatherings, but we can savor the experiences that we do have with the people in our lives or on Zoom or our animals. Um, yeah, that you can just remind us that there are there's beauty and there's joy in this life. And we thank you for the voice of Koleth in the Bible that that's allowed there and that's um, something that over and over and over in history, people of faith have affirmed, yeah, this belongs in the faith journey. Like we know this space. So thank you for the preservation of that voice. Um, yeah, just be with us in this coming week. Amen. <laughs>